0: It is now three o'clock. Hello, and welcome to the kickoff of the Middle East Forum's webinar series, Israel Insider, with Mr. Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey McKenna, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Mr. Perry here, advisor of the Middle East Forum's Israel office, to join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on everything Israeli. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for roughly 10 to 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen. We will do our best to get to all questions, but we have many participants on this webinar, so I apologize in advance if we do not get to yours today. If you have any comments or questions not related to the topic, please use the chat box to message me. And now, with no further ado, I will turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry.
1: Thank you very much, Stacy, And good afternoon, good evening, wherever you come from. It's uh, nine o'clock here in Israel, and it's uh, moving towards the end of, uh, let's just say for those who've been following it, a really unprecedented day. Uh, the, the Speaker of the Knesset has resigned formally. Uh, the Supreme Court asked for um, the Knesset plenum to have a vote on replacing him, uh, which he refused to do, so he resigned, really. Some people are using the word crisis, but if we look over the last year and a half we've had many unprecedented days. We've had many what some might call crises. We've had ever since, uh, let's say, November 2018 when Avigdor Lieberman withdrew the Israel Beiteinu party from the ruling government. We've been really in uh, torrential sort of uh, waters here in Israel politically. We've had three, not, not just one, two, but three elections in a year. I mean, that is really unprecedented. Um, for those who follow Israeli politics, you know, there's this joke that uh, as soon as, you know, the, the newspaper goes to print, it's, it's irrelevant, it's obsolete because news happens all the time. But for the last year and a half, it's, it's just gone at record pace. We, we just, you never know which way to turn. Um, I'm not going to give all the ups and downs and context throughout the last year and a half, but just suffice to say that we have uh, a different system uh, to the likes of uh, the US uh, and, and much of Europe. We have proportional representation, which means that many parties are represented in the Israeli parliament, and sometimes very small parties of uh, four or five or six have the balance of power, because at the end of the day to rule in Israel you have to have 61 of 120 seats in the Knesset. That's obviously a majority. No party, single party in the history of the State of Israel has ever received 61. So what they need to do is when the results are in, they need to uh, uh, have negotiations with all the other parties to try and get to that magic number of 61. Um, all of the major players have failed in three elections, whether that's the Likud leader and Crown Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, or the blue and white party leader, Benny Gantz, who's a former chief of staff of Israel, neither of them being able to cobble through uh, that magic 61, so we keep on going to elections. We went to our third elections and the way things currently sit is that what happens is after the election results are known, the president, which is largely a ceremonial uh, position, basically asks all the parties, who do you recommend to be uh, prime minister? And judging by that, whoever gets over that 61 then gets the opportunity to form that government. They have 28 days to do so and possibly another 14, which they have to personally request the president for. Uh, So, where we stand today is after the third election, there are 61 members of Knesset which recommended Benny Gantz to form a government. Now, it's a real sort of hodgepodge of parties. We have uh, parties from the uh, Arab. joint list which is three parties, uh, an Islamist party, a a nationalist party and a communist party but they basically go together so they can pool their resources and get larger amounts. Um, So you have them, you have the Labour Merits Party uh, together and you have the blue and white and you have, moving to the right, you have Israel Betania which, as, as I mentioned earlier, has been a key player all throughout this process. So together they made 61. So uh, the president, President Rivlin, gave Benny Gantz the first opportunity to form a government. We're now in those 28 days. But in the back of this, everything that's going on in politics is something which uh, pops up now and again, but is really dictated so much the pace and the clock, um, which is Netanyahu's criminal trial. He, is, he has been indicted for three, on three criminal cases, and the court cases were supposed to start now well actually they were supposed to have already started but obviously because of the coronavirus they've been put off uh, for a couple of months but basically uh, the blue and white party have threatened to pass legislation which disbars a prime minister who's under indictment from running for from being prime minister this is a game changer that would rule Benjamin Netanyahu out of ever being Prime Minister, or at least until he's proven innocent in the, in the court of law. Uh, but really, the most important thing to remember here is this, this, these are the headlines, this is what's going on, but below the scenes, everything that's going on between Gantz and Netanyahu is mainly a sort of, let's say, it's, it's a game of chicken. Everybody knows that there is real, no, there's no real government on either the left centre side or the right because even though there were 61 members of Knesset who recommended Gantz, uh, they could never sit together in the government. Avito Lehman of the Israel-Betanian party could never sit with the, uh, the joint Arab list and vice versa. And even within Blue and White, there is at least two, if not three, members of Knesset who said that they would not vote for such a government. So there really is no government on the left of center and Netanyahu only has 58. Uh, so neither side really have uh, the workings for a government. So, what we're doing now is basically everybody's playing this game of chicken to see who can get the, the best uh, conditions for a national unity government, because that really is the only game in town. The only game in town is a national unity government. And, and both of the major players know that. But there's a sort as I said, there's a sort of game of chicken at the moment because because uh, Benny Gantz was given the opportunity to form the first government. He, has also the opportunity to start moving on the Knesset uh, sort of agenda. And the first thing they did is set up the, uh, how do you say the the, the the conditions committee, which then creates the interim leaders of the most important Knesset committees, whether it's foreign and uh, defense, or whether it's finance and various others. So, blue and white took control of that and basically gave these the heads of these uh, committees to, uh, the people within their bloc, and the next step was to try and replace uh, Juli Edelstein, who is the Likud candidate to the right wing bloc candidate and has been the Speaker of the Knesset for many years, and he's seen as quite a consensus character, he's well liked across the system, um, and basically they wanted to replace him with Mayor Cohen of Blue and White. Now, usually there's a government being formed and then the, the, the Knesset Speaker will be replaced, and the, the big debate today is which should go first. The letter of the law, basically they had to go to the Supreme Court to decide can they hold a vote to replace Julia Versteen with Mayor Cohen or not. Julia Versteen refused to hold such a vote. He refused to even open up the plenum for such a vote. Uh, the Supreme Court demanded he do so and in the end he resigned. Now why did he resign? Basically he resigned to buy more time because when he resigns today, uh, Wednesday, it only goes into effect in 48 hours. 48 hours is Friday. The Knesset does not work on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So the next time that there even possibly be a vote for the Speaker of the Knesset is on Monday. And from what I've led to believe, and I haven't checked this with legal sources, but apparently he can even retract his resignation before Monday. So there's a bit of a game being played here, because in the background, negotiations are ongoing. There are There is outreach from both sides, and there are threats on the table. Why does Netanyahu fear um, what Blue and White is doing with Edelstein and and other such uh, sort of uh, tactics? Because if they are able to replace Edelstein, then basically they have the whole Knesset agenda to themselves. With 61, they can pass this crucial law, which would bar Netanyahu from even the possibility of being prime minister, forming the next coalition. And that's, that's the thing that uh, Netanyahu fears most. And when he, when he doesn't necessarily fear an opposing government, but he does appear, he does fear a law which would disbar him from forming a government. So the next, let's say up until Monday is going to be very crucial. There'll be a lot of, there's a lot of pressure for both sides to come down. Uh, President Rivlin, again, who holds a largely ceremonial but important role. Basically, took uh, to the major TV stations in a live broadcast tonight, really begging for unity. Uh, with everything else that's going on, you know, I haven't talked about the coronavirus, but obviously, in Israel, like everywhere else in the world, it can't be ignored. And you know, they they just put in some very very strong measures, which essentially mean almost a complete uh, lockdown. And Prime Minister Netanyahu followed that up with saying that within a few days there could be a complete lockdown on all citizens of the state of Israel. So there's many different moving parts to this. Um, it's a very, very tenuous situation, but I believe that at the end of the day, there will be a national unity government. It just depends what are the terms, how long, you know, because there's, there's very little trust between the two sides. And uh, the idea is that national unity government would mean that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu would continue for a certain amount of time, whether it's six months, a year, 18 months, and then he would hand over the reins to Benny Gantz. Meanwhile, the Blue and White Party would have at least the Defence Ministry and Foreign Ministry, which are very important. And what I've heard recently is possibly even the Justice Ministry, which is extremely important. And apparently, they could have agreed, possibly in principle, to allow Blue and White to hold that position, because there was talk of having a neutral candidate or one that was agreed on by the parties. You can imagine with all the legal issues going on, justice ministry is a very important card to have. Um, so the fact that uh, possibly they could have relented on that somewhat uh, really shows that they understand the situation. As I said, these things are very fluid, very complex. They're changing by the hour. Some, you know, It could be by the end of this conversation, some of the things I said at the beginning of the conversation are no longer, uh, no longer true. But that's the way it is in Israeli politics, especially now. As I said, we're really in extreme, extremely, uh, you know, uh, uncharted uh, territory. Um, But uh, I I do believe at the end of this, we will have a unity government. That is my feeling. That is my prediction, because simply there is no other option. Uh, It's just a matter of when they come to an agreement where both sides remain happy. I talked about uh, Netanyahu's. Why why he's acting the way he is. Benny Gantz has also, you know, the things that he has to think about. Some say that uh, the Blue and White Party may disintegrate because it's also an amalgamation of three parties. Uh, And if they do join a Netanyahu government, something that they said during each of their three campaigns that they would absolutely refuse to do. Some say that the Yishatid, Yaelapid grouping or party within a party would leave. Some say Moshi Alon, which is the Telem Party, which is the more right-wing, former Likud Nikim, former members of the Likud within Blue and White, may also uh, bolt that little coalition of Blue and White, leaving Benny Gantz with around half, if not less, of the total number of seats which he has. So it's, it's, it's a very sensitive time, but there are ongoing talks, and uh, hopefully we will get to the point where I think Well, according to every single poll that I've read, most Israelis want unity, especially during this crisis. And I think both leaders know that. There are some who say that Netanyahu wants a fourth election because his poll numbers are extremely high at the moment because they, uh, people believe he's dealing with the coronavirus crisis pretty well. But uh, as we know, and as someone who's worked in elections all around the world and campaigns and worked with uh, heads of state, a crisis at the beginning, there's a certain amount of solidarity. But the longer a crisis goes on, people start to feel anxious, they start to feel worried. And they tend to scapegoat the leadership, even if they are enunciating the best policies and doing the best, uh, best for the country. That's, that's just the way it, it seems to be. And I always use the analogy of Winston Churchill, who was seen as you know, one of the most successful politicians for winning the Second World War for the British and the allies in general. And a few months after the war, he was resoundly beaten in the British elections. He barely got a third of the vote. So we see with crises around the world, there is that sort of uptick at the beginning with the solidarity and rallying around the leader, but the longer it goes on, with the fear and anxiety, especially in the economic sphere, uh, people d- uh, start to doubt uh, the leader's uh, you know policies and direction. So I think Netanyahu, who's Certainly, one of the, certainly the most wily politician in, in Israel, perhaps one of the top uh, strategists in the world, uh, will be looking at the poll numbers and we will understand the situation. So I'm not so sure he wants uh, a fourth elections, um, but these are all the calculations uh, that we have moving forward. So I think at this point, I'm happy to uh, open this up. Stacey, I know you have a, a lot of questions uh, so I'm happy to answer any of the questions you may have on this subject or anything else of relevance.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. So our first question is, how did the Blue and White Party get the right to select the Arab Party to be in charge of a Knesset committee?
1: Well, first of all, um, usually committees are run by some people in the coalition, some people in the opposition. The Arab parties have, had a, have led Committees in the past. This is certainly isn't unprecedented or unheard of, Uh, but at this stage, the right-wing block, the right-wing religious block, refused to come to the Knesset, refused to discuss these things. So the Blue and White Party and its block basically decided and divided up the temporary committees. And these are interim committees; these are not the final uh, committees. But they basically were able to divide up the committees as it saw fit, and a party of fifteen. In a block of sixty-one, obviously has some clout, so they obviously demanded that they would lead at least one committee, and there's, there's, there was little chance of blue and white not being able to uh, abide by that. But uh, they didn't get the uh, defence and foreign affairs, and they didn't get the, uh, which is which is Gabi Ashkenazi of the blue and white, and they didn't get the finance committee, which is also very important, which is Audet Four, um, who is, um, funny enough. Calling me right now. <laughs> who is the head of the uh, Who is the head of the uh, finance uh, committee in the Knesset? So, uh, it, Blue and White had no choice. They had to give. Uh, they had to give at least one of the uh, interim uh, committees up to the Arab parties. But that doesn't mean that they'll be permanently uh, heading that particular committee. But probably at the end of the day, they will head some sort of committee because there are many, many committees in the Knesset.
0: Thank you. What is the basis of the anim- animosity between Lieberman and Netanyahu?
1: <laughs> well, someone who worked closely with Lieberman, uh, I was his advisor when he was in the foreign ministry and the defense ministry, and I've worked and known him, I think, about 12 years. It's, it's, it's fascinating to me. It's, it's one of the most talked about relationships in Israeli politics. If we go back further, when Netanyahu was prime minister during the uh, mid to late 90s, uh, Avito Lieberman was pretty much by his side the whole way. He ran the campaign, he was the Director General of the Likud, and then he became Director General of the Prime Minister's office. They worked hand in hand, were very much yin and yang, uh, you know, if you, if you know their personalities. And when uh, Lieberman left uh, Netanyahu's office over the whole uh, the Hebron uh, deal on the Y agreement to set up Yisrael, the relationship remained good. And it remained pretty positive um, all throughout. I remember many times the media were speculating that the relationship had soured. And I saw them at the end of the day kicking up their feet together, having a a drink and a good chat. So the relationship was always good. Um, It only soured recently. Um, There were a number of things that soured it. First of all, there were a number of investigations uh, launched against Liebman. In the end, he was acquitted of all. But there is a certain belief that these were started by uh, people in Netanyahu's inner circle uh, to discredit him and even force him out of the uh, political arena. Uh, But it really, really soured, I would suggest, when he became Defence Minister in 2015, or 2016, rather, because he didn't join the government at first. And Defence Minister is usually a very important position. But uh, since... After the second, not to give too much context, but after the Second Lebanon War, it was decided that uh, big security decisions would be made by an inner cabinet, an inner security cabinet of 11. And Netanyahu always made sure to weight that with his people, where he had a majority. So every time the defense minister wanted to make a decision, a serious decision, a weighty decision, it had to go to the security cabinet, and where Netanyahu had an automatic majority. So while as uh, Lehman wanted to do a lot of things, wanted to strike hard at Hamas, wanted to really uh, do, some, uh, do some operations that Netanyahu didn't like, uh, Lehman lost trust, lost faith. And what really did it for him is when uh, the decision was made to allow Qatar to give Hamas millions, tens of millions of dollars every month, uh, basically his protection money, to keep quiet. And Bibi was outraged by this decision and felt that Netanyahu has become weak and soft, and he no longer has the uh, the, the moral authority to to run a country under under threat from so many uh, different uh, sides. So I think that's really where we are today. The language I was used to say before, you know, you can tell where the relationship is if they actually called each other out by name, and they never used to, never. If you looked at it, even when commentaries would, uh, uh, you know adduce this or that, they would never call each other by name. That ended uh, at the beginning of last year when, when Netanyahu understood that Liebman would not join his, his government because of the ultra-Orthodox uh, draft law, which set off the second and the third elections, and basically the relationship has soured possibly, probably beyond repair.
0: Great. Wonderful. Along those lines, is there a heightened risk of attacks during against Israel during this time of the Corona crisis?
1: Um, I mean, different countries or or say there are different threats. Let's start with Hamas. Hamas usually attack Israel, not because they necessarily believe that they're going to conquer Israel, not at this stage what they do believe, what they, why they attack is if they want to get attention. Usually if their situation is not good, they want the people running around them because when Israel then has to respond, it looks good for Hamas because again, the, the, the leaders rally around, uh, the people rally around the leaders or if they want international, they want a bit of international attention, which obviously they don't get all the time um, or they want money from Qatar. There was a time a couple of months ago where Qatar wanted to turn off the uh, faucet Uh, Of money, as it were. And there was this strange story of the head of Mossad going to Qatar to beg them. Can you imagine this? The Israelis going to Qatar to beg them to carry on paying uh, the the leaders of Hamas, the terrorist leaders of Hamas in in Gaza. Um, So the threat is basically dependent on Hamas's mood, what, what their needs are. In the north, Hezbollah are pretty quiet, they have their own issues in Lebanon and obviously Syria. Uh, and then there's the major threat from Iran. Iran is very unstable. It's been affected by the coronavirus massively, far more than many other countries. Uh, they still continue moving towards nuclear weapons, um, even with the pressure that the U.S. and others are, are placing on it. And it's, it's a really unknown uh, quantity there because the leadership feels safe some of the time, but other time it doesn't. So, you know, it remains to be seen. It's very, very hard to predict. At the moment, uh, we haven't seen too many attacks. We have seen some, let's say, individual uh, terrorist attacks, Uh, you know, some stones being thrown, some attempted stabbings, et cetera, et cetera, which unfortunately become a daily routine even if they don't make the media. Um, But at the moment, everyone seems to be preoccupied with coronavirus and apparently it's now entered into Gaza and there it can probably spread quite quickly. So Hamas probably have to deal with that. Um, Perhaps that's one of the reasons why there's been quiet, but you never know.
0: Fantastic. What do you foresee as the role and the power of the religious parties in a unity government?
1: First of all, there's different religious parties. that remains to be seen. One of, one of the things that Netanyahu has been very strict on from the beginning is keeping his so-called block together. His block consists of the Likud, which is the traditional right-wing secular traditional uh, uh, party. And then you have what's variously called the National Religious Party, Jewish Home, Yamina, which means sort of right. Uh, which is also an, an amalgamation of two or three parties, depending. Some elections there were two, some elections there were three. And then you have the two ultra-Orthodox parties, one, uh, which is Ashkenazi, which means Central and Eastern European, and then there's Safadi, which is Middle Eastern, North African, um, uh, ultra-Orthodox. Netanyahu, throughout his uh, career as Prime Minister, has relied very heavily on the ultra-Orthodox parties because They're very reliable partners. Uh, They have demands in the religious uh, sphere. They have demands, uh, financial demands, for their yeshiva, places of learning, and to make sure that their populations can continue uh, their worldview, their daily lives. Uh, But beyond that, they're pretty uh, pliable as far as security, foreign affairs, even economic issues. So they've become a very reliable partner, and Netanyahu is loath extremely loath to drop them, Um, but I think that will probably be a condition of a national unity government because simply it would be, you know, unreasonable for one side to come just as a party and the other side to come as a bloc. So I don't see um, the, uh, I I think national unity would probably mean just that it could have blue and white together. Together they, uh, I think it's uh, 66 or 67, which is certainly enough to govern with the support of other parties, Israel Betania for example, said that they would support them from the outside and I'm sure the majority of parties would support most of the steps that such an, an emergency and national unity government uh, would t- need to take.
0: Fantastic answer. Uh, with Qatar giving aid to Hamas and Gaza, was that with permission of the Israeli government or was that on its own?
1: I mean, at first it was it was Qatar's initiative, but it was given certainly given permission at the very least. But now, as I said with these reports of the Mossad, the head of the Mossad going to Qatar to make sure that they continue, it's it's a little bit more than just with the permission, it's it's with the encouragement of the Israeli government.
0: Great. Um, is there a law to prevent Netanyahu from being in government subject to a Supreme Court ruling if it is a solely directly? Li- well, if it is solely directed to one
1: individual. I'm not sure if I completely understood the question, but at the moment, there is no impediment to Netanyahu remaining prime minister. Blue and white have tabled, actually it was Israel Beiteinem, which tabled a motion, a law, that would uh, disbar anyone under indictment from being prime minister. As I said before, this is probably largely a play, um, a threat, Uh, something which means the clock is ticking because in theory they could at least get the first readings through um, within the next week. As I said, you know, if you look at the clock, uh, Gantz only really has two weeks probably from next week. So would they be able to pass that law in that time? And and don't forget, there's the Passover holiday, which again, the Knesset would stop for. So there's a really, really tight schedule and they would have to get uh, ahead of possibly... Uh, Benny Gantz running out of time and then it would be handed to Netanyahu. So again, there's a very tight plot, but I I think mostly this is, this is a threat to sort of speed things up towards a national unity government. But at the moment, there's no impediment on uh, Netanyahu, the remaining prime minister.
0: Got it. And this will be our last question. We're running out of time. Have former, has former Knesset speaker at action over trying to save his position created a constitutional crisis as those on the left and some on the right for instance Neftalia Bennett have suggested or alluded to
1: well first we have to have a constitution <laughs> to have a constitutional crisis that would be the first thing that many Israelis would say I said we we've, we've, we've got through quite well a bit like Britain which obviously you can tell where I'm from originally uh, they've you know lived their whole Democratic existence without a formal constitution, unlike the U.S. and many other places around the world, up to now there haven't really been any major issues uh, in the Israeli sort of let's say uh, governance issues of governance. And when there were, they were taken care of by something which is a quasi-constitutional status, which are basic laws which are enacted uh, if some issues come up. Uh, you know, they tend to deal with the functions of government. So is this a constitutional crisis? I wouldn't say it's a constitutional crisis. I would say it's unprecedented. Um, As I I sort of alluded to from the beginning, um, there was a lot going on, but there's more going on behind the scenes. And everything that happened today and happened the days before and what happened a few days after, I still believe are very much just part of the game, quote unquote, to try and put pressure on each other, Likud and Blue and White, to get to the point where they both come down to, the, to meeting each other and agreeing on a national unity government. Um, so although it would appear that you know, we are in a bit of a crisis constitutionally in terms of governance, how do we move forward from here, what is the role of the Supreme Court vis-a-vis the Knesset and the government? Because at the moment, we really only have one functioning branch of government. Uh, which is the government. Um, but I, I believe that this is all sort of just being played out again, just for one aim, uh, to create this national unity government. And I believe it will be created in the next couple of days, a uh, couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks. Um, the only danger is if both sides are too far up their trees and one of them takes a step that the other considers, you know, completely, uh, that they could have said, if they get their speaker in, Mayor Cohen in, instead of Edelstein, that for them means the end of coalition talks. We'll see if that's that's true. Obviously, if uh, the 61 uh, pass a law that would disbar Netanyahu from becoming prime minister, you can imagine Netanyahu wouldn't remain at the negotiating table after such a such a thing. So, so I believe that all these things are just being played out. Their threats, their actions being taken just to try and. Drive the other one to the table. Drive a lower price for the National Unity Government, trying to get more uh, for themselves in such a government. So I, I believe that uh, we are seeing, even even as we speak, there are talks uh, behind the scenes, and, and I'm confident that all of this is just a sort of a, a major play uh, for the National Unity Government, and all these other issues will be worked out. I mean, we obviously have some. Uh, uh, kinks in our uh, constitution or quasi-constitution in our system of government. And I, I hope that we are able to work those out. And I do believe that the two parties together, without any satellite parties with other interests, they will be able to really look at the issues of governability and governance and see how we can make it uh, a little bit better for, for the next time we go to elections.
0: Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to speak with us. We have come to the close of our webinar. Thank you all for joining us today. There will be a short survey to fill out at the end to help us better serve you going forward. On Friday, we will be having a webinar at 1 p.m. Eastern with Mr. Benjamin Bard, speaking on Islamism in American politics, the 2020 elections. We will also be sending out an invitation to join us on upcoming webinar shortly. Thank you again for joining us and we look forward to seeing you again next week.